With the campaign getting underway, the presidential campaign, the mics are on 24-7, always looking for something controversial. In this section of John chapter 6, Jesus says something controversial to the point that some people leave because they realize the commitment that Jesus is asking for. And it's not a commitment that you do certain things to impress him. Instead, it's commitment that is full trust in him for your salvation. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, September 2nd, 2012. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now we just finished, excuse me, uh, we just finished up a sermon series last week that went through the whole summer, and I confess that I had not planned yet what we're going to do for the next sermon series. That has now changed to give you new confidence in your pastor. So the next, um, it's never good to start a sermon series on Labor Day weekend as a general rule, so we're going to cover a single thing we'll talk about today. But next week, we're going to be doing, it's called An Epistle of Straw. And this is a quote from Martin Luther, who felt the book of James, the Epistle of James, was a book of straw. He was not a big, big fan of the Epistle of James. There are good quotes that he says. But I thought, hey, why not just say, uh, get right to it. So the Epistle of Straw, we're going to be talking about the challenge with this book, and we'll talk about the next four weeks, is it is so heavy on the Christian life and really light on what Christ has done. So as a Lutheran that recognizes all of Scripture, says again and again what Christ has done, and then as a response is our Christian life, this is kind of a harder book to handle. So I thought we'd just we'd put that out there. So the next four weeks we're going to be doing that. Then October comes, and I'm really excited about this for two reasons. Uh, this is the first one. I don't even know where that slide, one slide's not showing through, is it? There was a picture over that one. Uh, the Rock Kids Memory Program, so I'm really excited about this, because you know you get excited. The theme is going to be Dojo, which is coming up with the kids. But we went to the library, and they have like a reading program. Have you seen these things? Like you read books over the summer, like a summer reading program, and then you fill in the little book or whatever it is, or you follow the tracks around. I thought, we should do this for our kids, because this will be cool. So we had the designer work on this. They whipped this up, and then there's, I think, Barb could help me out, 15 passages or so. 12. So we just lowered the bar a little bit. So there's 12 passages. There, and, and this is what you're going to get, parents. You're going to get the sheet. You can cut that off. The back side has the passage. The front side has Kung Fu Panda smashing bricks with the passage in it. And then the kids, once they learn it, they just color it in. And then once they know it uh, and they fill it all up, I think they get a movie card is the plan. So we had a prize. So we totally stole this from the library, but we're excited about it. So that comes up in October. We're going to have like adults in the Rock Kids program now. They, so we're, we're pretty excited about that. The second thing that's starting up, not only are grow groups starting up October, so we're, that's, we're excited about that, but then a new series, which is going to follow, for the most part, the pericope, which is of the scheduled readings. So we're going to spend some time completely in the book of Mark and cover what some practical teachings of Jesus. So it's Mark uh, in the 8s till about 13, near the end, just before his passion. That's going to cover what's Jesus' take on divorce, what's Jesus' take on money, what's Jesus' take on success. And I think this is going to be a good series. So if you have a friend that's thinking, hey, this would be good, James would be okay, uh, but they're going to be like, those guys are pretty intense. Um, Mark, I think, would be fantastic. Most people have a respect for Jesus and what Jesus has to say on things. So we're excited about that. Grow Group signups are going to start next week. Okay. But till then, as I said, it's not great to start a sermon series on Labor Day weekend, a, a weekend when we celebrate the fruits and of labor by doing absolutely nothing. So we are going to be looking at 
the book of John. So in John chapter 6, just think in your head, maybe you know some things if you recently read it for your personal devotion or something like that. Do you know anything about the book of John chapter 6? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You know, you can just kind of pretend. But no. So John chapter 6 is a monumental pa- uh, chapter because it's covering the life of Jesus as he feeds 5,000 people. And you've heard of the feeding of the 5,000, right? So he feeds 5,000 people, and the people think this is amazing. And they want to chase him down, and they think, if uh, we're going to have a leader that's going to run the show, this is what we want. We want w- what's known as a bread king. We want someone who's going to give us food just like that. We don't even have to work for it. It's going to be like Labor Day weekend every weekend. This is going to be fantastic. We won't have to harvest or anything like that. Well, they chase him down, and Jesus starts this sermon. And there's parts of this sermon that you're going to recognize, and then a part we're going to get to that's pretty difficult. Uh, the first part is Jesus is saying, hey, don't chase after food that spoils. Has the Bible said that before? Yeah, again and again and again. It says don't chase after things that moth and, and that rust and go to, go to pot. You don't want to chase those. Instead, spend time on the things that actually last. This makes sense? Then Jesus fills in the blank. So this is, I'm just highlighting the sermon before we get to where we're at. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, in fact. And maybe this is the section you would know. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never go thirsty. I think this is pretty good, isn't it? I think this is encouraging. Like if, as, a, as a church, we could even put that, instead of having our Work Righteous banner, which is right up there, uh, we could have something that says that. I am the bread of life, right? This would be encouraging. So the sermon's going great so far. The people chasing down, he's saying, don't go after stuff that spoils. Instead, seek the bread of life. And in fact, I'm the bread of life. This sounds good. Because I've come down from heaven. The people go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you just run by that one more time? They start to get concerned. They're saying, so this guy actually came down from heaven? So this makes them uncomfortable a little bit. Well, then Jesus turns the discomfort screws a little bit more. This is the next section in this sermon, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So far, so good. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And just this is not talking about communion here. It hasn't even been instituted. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. What would you say if the presidential candidates came and they said, tell you what, we're going to live, this is going to be great, we're going to have a great country, all you have to do is drink my blood and eat my flesh. What is Jesus saying? He said, I'm the living bread, and this bread happens to me in my flesh, and you can see him like, what? So they start to argue, and they say, how can this be? This man give us flesh to eat, and here's the kicker. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Does that make you uncomfortable? Sermon was going great, right? I mean, uh, just just seek things that don't spoil, and then um, I'm the bread of life. Okay, we're good with that. And then he starts saying he came down from heaven, and now he says you have to eat and drink my flesh and blood. I'm the first to admit I think this is one of the more difficult sections in Scripture to, to make sense. Like, why would Jesus even say this? which we'll talk about in a little bit. But at the same time, I think it does make some sense in the context of the whole sermon. So we're going to work on that. But first, we have to understand a man named Ezekiel. So if you haven't read John chapter 6 lately, I'm guessing you have not read the book of Ezekiel lately. 48 chapters. My son claims he has read the book of Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel's not exactly a page turner. I mean, you get like four chapters in and then you're like, wow. So it's the visions of Ezekiel. Let me tell you a few things about Ezekiel. This guy's weird. And in fact, God asked him to do weird things. So if you know anything about him, you're like, okay, buckle up. Uh, God says, I want you to go and preach judgment to the people of Israel. He goes, okay, I'm in. And we're going to talk about his call in a second. So he's excited about this. And God says, here's what I want you to do. Um, Lay on your side for 390 days. Okay, so he builds this little siege work. God asked him to do this. He builds this siege to demonstrate that they're going to be put under siege. And he, and he literally lays on his side for over a year. Like going, he had, a, I don't know if he had like time off, like world records. You know, you have a certain time off every 24 hours or something. So he lays on his side. God says, I want you to make food exactly like this and have exactly this much water and drink and eat at a specific time. So for a whole year, you think your life is boring? Just imagine for like over a year just laying on your side and thinking, this is awful. Oh, I wonder what we're going to have for lunch today. Oh, yeah, it's the same thing again. So to make this work, a little bit later, God asked him to shave his head as a demonstration and weigh out his hair into thirds to show what's going to happen to the kingdom. He's weird. So this is the, here's the kicker, though. Um, God comes to Ezekiel and says, when you're cooking this food, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take human waste to use as fuel. And you can imagine Ezekiel just like, oh, are you kidding me? Oh, come on. I'm already laying on my side. I'm embarrassed. I've got to shave my head. I'm making like this little mini siege works. Come on. And God says, okay. God relents and says, all right, you don't have to do that. You can use cow waste instead. So for a whole year that he's laying on his side, this is how he's cooking his food, and you can imagine, which is totally defiling and humiliating. And then after that time, he just switches to his right for 40 days. Sound like a good thing? Before, though, I said to understand what Jesus is saying, you have to understand Ezekiel. Before that, God calls him, and Ezekiel sees visions. So most of the book of Ezekiel is visions that he has seen. And so Ezekiel sees his visions for his call, and he's approached with a scroll in hand. They hand it to Ezekiel, and on the scroll, both sides, they save paper. They, they're pretty green in the Bible. So they save paper. Both sides was judgment against the, the nation of Israel. And what does God say? He says, eat this scroll. And in his vision, he literally takes the scroll and he eats it and it says it was as sweet as honey. The words of Scripture, even though they're condemnation for his nation, were as sweet as honey. I think this is probably the best way to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about communion. Instead, he's saying, if you want to have life, you need to consume my message. You need to consume me, in a sense. Because his whole message was not this. This is the part that like stands out. And you're going, this is nuts. And the people actually cut off here. And we're going to cover that in a minute. But before then, here are four highlights from the sermon before. Read through this. These are passages from, uh, if you're listening at home, 29, 35, 40, and 47. This is going to be like uh, Mortimer Marker, if you guys watch Bill Cosby. You have to look for how they're similar. So look through there. How are those passages similar? Picture pages, that's what it was called. Get something in your head? What was the main point of Jesus' sermon so far, remember? Does it seem to have a similar theme? Jesus says again and again, before he says this shocking statement, there's no doubt it's a shocking statement, before he gets that far, he says again and again, 
You have to believe in me, and that's it. As shocking as it would be to say to eat my blood and, and drink, um, drink my blood and eat my flesh, I think this is equally shocking to a human being to say, you cannot get close to God unless you just fully, you give up trying to impress him by what you do. Instead, you just believe. That goes against everything inside you. As, as awkward and, and weird as it is to eat someone's flesh and drink their blood, and culturally that would have been even a crazy statement. They didn't even eat animal blood. Like, they weren't allowed to. God said you have to drain the blood. That's for me. That's the lifeblood of the animal. You can only eat the meat. So culturally, as crazy as that would have been, as, as we're wired as human beings to get to a point where you say, I cannot do anything. Instead, I just believe is just as hard. And so he underlines it again and again and again. And you could hear the people, couldn't you? Someone says, I've never missed a festival ever. I'm to, I wear my yarmulke all the time. I know all the laws. In fact, I have phylacteries. I have the law written here. If you go to my door frame, it's got the little thing right there too. I always go to Passover. You can hear him say, you're telling me that God's not impressed and all he cares about is if I believe in this Jesus? Yes. How many people have you run into that would say the same thing? I always pay my taxes. I'm always nice to people. I do my best. You're telling me that your God is not impressed with the things I do. He only wants to know if I believe in his son. Yes. And as shocking as it would be to eat and drink his flesh, it's equally as shocking. So Jesus explains this teaching. Do you think this is a hard teaching? You have to just believe in Christ. It's not, a, you can't go to a monastery, you can't volunteer, you can't get, have a high-paying job and take a lower-paying job. You can't do anything to impress God. Do you think that's a hard teaching? I do, and so do the people. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Sounds familiar. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Whenever you're committed to something, this intense. Whenever you're committed to something that pushes you outside the box of your reason, you're going to want to quit. Every time. How many of you started exercise programs? They're like, once at birth, I've never quit. Then your exercise program is like getting up in the morning. That's the extent of it, and you're like, another day, check. Uh, right? If you've started anything with any kind of intensity, you've probably quit, right? Or wanted to quit. As a, or if you try to diet, if you've gotten to a point where you're like, why am I doing this? I want to quit. This doesn't seem worth it. Have you ever been in the middle of, you train and train and train and you want to run. I know we've got like some triathletes and 5K people and 14er people. You're going to, in the middle of the 14er, at what point as you're hiking do you say, why am I doing this? As the lactic acid builds in your legs, you're like, for what? I kind of want to quit right now. This, I don't really want to do this as a point of illustration. I thought, this is going to be good. I'm going to row. I'm a rower a little bit. So I got one of these erg things in machines. You know, it's like riding a rocking chair. You just work and work and work. You don't go anywhere. Um, so I'm doing this row, and I thought, I'm going to get a personal best, and this is going to be great because I'm going to talk about how I wanted to quit, but I still broke through. No, I just totally blew up. Like, I, I couldn't do it. I'm going, and I'm like, I'm wheezing. Just can't do it. And I thought, if there's any time you want to quit, is it when things are going great in all cylinders, or is it when you quite haven't made your goal? 
I'm guessing if you gave up smoking or something and you haven't smoked for two years, you're not like, man, this is the hardest day of my life. But what happens if you sneak a smoke with some friends and you're like, I'm terrible, I'm useless, I should just quit. I should just go back to it. I should just, how many of you have fallen off the wagon for like a Monday bender? It would be like a a Sunday bender after eating food. You like have like one burger, you're like, ah, well, church is tomorrow and I might as well have four Krispy Kremes, no one counts. We count. No, we don't. <laughs> right? I mean, have you ever got to that point where you just have one and you're like, well, I'm already down the slide. I might as well just have a few more. Just grease the skids, you know, and then, and then you just feel terrible and you're at home and you're like, why does church do this to me? I should feel better when I go to church. Right? This all builds up. These people had gotten to a point where it sounded like this was good. Like this guy provides food. This guy's got a message of hope. And then he starts turning the screws to say, if you really want to believe, you got to just believe in me and not in yourself. And you're going to want to quit. Think of an example from Scripture, and we'll make it short, is uh, Moses. And you know the story, so I'm going to make it really quick. Moses is, um, at the time, they were killing the baby boys because they were afraid they are going to rebel too much. And his mother puts him in the basket, you know the story. And then the mother, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, picks him up. And then he gets to be raised in the house of Pharaoh. Does that mean he possibly could rule someday? I don't know. But he would have learned hieroglyphics. He would have learned uh, geometry, I hope. That's how they built the pyramids. They didn't just kind of go like this. I mean, they know what they were doing. He learns all this stuff, war and everything. But then when he's 40 years old, what does he decide to do? I got to make a choice. I can stay here or I can go and recognize my true God. He leaves. And Scripture says, you know why he did that? Here's an exact quote from Scripture. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. When you're in the middle of like doing a diet or something like that, what do they tell you to do? Have like your goal picture, right? Back when you were like 17 or something and it was actually easy and you could eat whatever you want. And you're in the middle of this row, you think, you're in the middle of a run, you think, I could quit now, but you know how nice it will be to be done? and to find some satisfaction. You know how lousy you feel when you quit? In the middle of this, as people are quitting, what's the motivation as a believer? You get to be with Christ. And I know life is not going to be easy, and I know this is hard, and I know it can be a drag, and you wake up and you say, why do I do this? Why do I gather my kids up? Why do I do devotions? Why do I read to myself? Why do I do these things? Because you look at your reward with Christ. There's going to be a time when you want to quit. I guarantee it, because this is hard. And what's interesting is in Hebrews, it says about Jesus, he has been tempted in every way just as we are. Which means, at one point in his life, Jesus was tempted to, at least once, to say, I don't want to do this anymore. God has given me a mission on this earth. He was tempted to say, I don't want to do it anymore. Did he quit? No, instead, he went, and he kept going, and he kept going, and he went all the way in. I was messing around with penny stocks a few years ago. My wife knows this. I had a couple hundred bucks. I don't know if I got it from, saved it up, and I thought, this could be kind of fun. I had a guy at church who was really into this stuff. Has anyone done penny stocks? I did it for a total of a month. Every time I saw this guy, 
he would tell me about like the next move I should make. I didn't actually do any studying. I just had, I supplied money. I bought like Washington Mutual stock for like three cents or something like that. So I suddenly had all these stocks. They put 200 in and at one point it was $800, which is pretty exciting. I'm like, this is sweet. What happens if this goes? And of course you start spending the money automatically. Well, then it starts to die. You know, and then what do you do when you're, you have your stock or you're, and you're looking at it and you're going, huh, do I buy more because it's a low price or do I get out of here? And it, you know, it ticks down and down. You said, this is a great deal. If it comes back up, it, eventually I bailed because I, I couldn't handle going to church every week and he'd be telling me about the stocks. I'm like, I'm out. I sold them all. Then I didn't have to talk about it. What do you think it felt like for Jesus and his disciples? Jesus had just, um, the, the leadership at the time didn't really trust what Jesus had to say. Then Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Then thousands of people leave and have nothing to do with him. Jesus admits in the same sermon to his disciples when he says, hey, do you guys want to leave too? He admits that one of their own is going to betray him. Does it look like it's a sinking ship? And you really have only two options at that point, right? Number one is sell and get out of there and say, I'm done. A lot of the people said, I'm done or you can go all in. For your salvation, when Jesus was tempted to say, I'm done, he decided to go all in. And what Christ is telling you in this sermon to to be consumed by him is you got two options. You can bail, or you can go all in, and then through the Holy Spirit, you can say the same confession that that Peter said. He said, you guys going to leave? And here's Peter's response. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen.